0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Now, all the intros are out of the way. Now we get to start. So we're starting a series called Rooted. Uh, I'm going to literally kind of unpack some stuff over the next four Sundays uh, in hopes of us seeing the significance of the kingdom of God at work in your life, and how we can allow him, the kingdom, the king of the kingdom, to actually go even deeper and produce much, much sweeter fruit in your life. If you believe that for your life, say amen. All right, so I love starting off with definitions. Sometimes it just gives us context. It lays a foundation. And the word uh, rooted, literally defined, means this. Established deeply, firmly planted, or fixed in place. How many say that's good? But it goes on and it says it means strong, irresistible, sturdy, difficult to destroy. How many want that kind of Christian walk? How many know that in the world that we live in today, there's going to be much that fights against Christianity? And as a result, there's much that fights against your faith and your belief system. But how many know that God has given us every single thing we need to walk countercultural with confidence? Not arrogant, but humble. How many know that the more that we live as Christians, the more countercultural we will look? All three of you, the rest of you, we're going to pray that you come to Christ today. <laughs> that you understand? No I'm kidding. All right, moving on a lot. But there was this one passage of scripture that they actually referenced in the uh, in the video there that I want to start with and I'm going to actually back up. They just talk about Psalm 1 verse 3. I'm actually going to back it up and I'm going to start at Psalm 1 verse 1 and I'm going to just explain this verse as I go. But it says this, "Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the God, of the ungodly." It, bear, it right away kind of begs a question from us. Is who are we friends with? Who are we listening to? Who is in your circle of friends? It says very clearly here, Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Can I say to you today that there is a lot of opportunities with your life to find ungodly people. They're everywhere. They don't have a God conscience. They don't have something that they're rooted to that would cause them to walk out godly living and godly thoughts. It goes on and says this, Nor stands in the path... Of sinners, There's an interesting story in the book of Matthew, and I think it's repeated in two other Gospels, and it says that the the, the pathway that leads to destruction is wide. But the one that leads to true life is very narrow. So it says here, don't stand in the path of sinners. In other words, that's the wide path. That's the easy path. That's the path that it's easy, or, or if we can say it like this, it's even by default at times to take. And God is saying, be intentional about living the narrow path. It goes on and it says, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. What is a scornful person? They're negative. They're a person that rejects truth. They're a person who mocks what God is doing. You ever seen some of them? I don't know about you. There's, those are people I don't want to be around. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God, which is truth. I don't know if you guys have been starting this, I grabbed it up here just to remind you, we have a Bible reading plan through Impact, it's a year long Bible reading plan, I've heard from so many people reading it, but what I want you to understand, what this verse is talking about is being anchored to the word, because when you're anchored to the word, you're going to understand his will, when you understand his will, you'll have confidence to walk it out, amen, but it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, in other words, it's his foundation, it's his focus, And in His law, He meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted, or in this case, rooted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever He does shall prosper. One version of that says to be fruitful. So when we're rooted in the Word of God, and according to John chapter 1, the Word is Jesus Himself. So the revelation of Jesus, we can literally pick up and we can flip the pages and we can read all about. But when we're rooted in the word, which is Jesus, it produces tremendous fruit. Tremendous fruit. Somebody described the Bible many, many years ago as they called it a manual for living or a manual for life. And some people who are not believers would argue, well, that's an archaic book. And, you know, what, you know there's inconsistencies as this. Well, I, I would argue different. But that's a different story for a different day. But the one thing that I've come back to as I've talked with people, as I said, you may not use the Bible, and you can do whatever you want. But you have to come to grips with the fact that every single person has a manual that you choose to live by. Everyone, Some of it's called the Manual of Experiences. Some of it's called the manual of heartache and disappointment. Some of it's called the manual of family dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And we live by a manual. In other words, we live by a certain value set. We live by a certain foundation that we live by every single day. So what I want to propose this morning as we're starting this series is that I would propose that you should root yourself to something that is unshakable. Unshakable. No matter what is going on in your life. And I have news for you. Your emotions aren't it. Your experiences aren't it. Because I can tell you right now. According to Cameron chapter 17 verse 3. That you can have an amazing experience with God today. Have a brutal day at work tomorrow. And completely forget about what happened yesterday. So it begs the question. What are we intentionally rooted to? And is it sustainable? Is it unshakable? Is it something that we can anchor our lives to? Interesting fact. The Bible's been the best-selling book every year for its entire existence. Hmm. And it's not even close. Not even close. That's a good point. Thanks, Cameron. Okay, good point. I want to just drop another definition to you. Another definition. It says this. Rooted means if one thing is rooted in another, it is based on it, has developed from it, or is influenced by it. So Christ literally wants our lives to be based on him, to be developed by him, and to be influenced by him. That's it. And when we do that and when we allow that, we can literally live like Jesus and love like Jesus. Jesus. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says this. As you therefore have received Christ. So at some point, you have to accept it, right? As soon as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, just don't enjoy the, the warm fuzzies of the initial experience. But make a choice to walk it out. What's that word talking about? To pursue. Pursue the things of God. It goes on in verse seven, it says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So when we're rooted in Christ, we will grow. It is impossible for you not to grow when you are rooted in Christ. Not only that, we're going to grow in love. We're going to grow in character. We're going to grow in integrity. We're going to grow in obedience. We're going to grow in understanding of his ways. But not only that, we're going to flourish. How many have ever heard that word flourish? And as soon as you hear that word flourish, there's so many different opinions of it. I have a, you know how sometimes you live out of the manual of experience? I have a really, really, really bad memory of the word flourish. It's really bad. I saw somebody that tried to act out Psalm 92 with the word flourish and had, you you guys know rhythmic gymnastics where they have the, what, what are they called? The ribbons, this guy acted out the word flourish with rhythm, rhythmic gymnastic moves and went all across the stage. And it's got I literally—I have it permanently implanted in my mind—and I need healing. I just want to let you know, I need healing because it was so bad and it was like this is embarrassing. But the funniest thing is, is I'll never, ever, for the rest of my life, ever forget the word flourish. Because when I think of it, I see this guy doing the most ridiculous-looking rhythmic gymnastic things in the world. How do I know and how do I remember it so well? Uh, go ahead and ask me. Because it was me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had the most incredible ribbons. I was doing the hokey pokey all around the place. It was awesome. We got it on video. We got it on camera. And I, whenever I see those pictures, it was actually at a young adult retreat that we did, a weekend retreat. And I'll never forget it. And people come to me. 15 years later, and go, I don't remember nothing about you, but you remember when? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I'm like, oh my goodness. Part of my problem is that I have thoughts that hit me, and then there's no filter. Nothing filters it out in my life, nothing filters out those ideas. And then I just do it, and then I go, okay, probably not the best idea. But I, you have to admit, I, I do a pretty mean Grover impression, too. Just saying. All right. For those who've never seen it, nope. I'm not gonna do it. Nope. Focus, Cameron. Focus. Okay. So I'm gonna just camp on one passage of scripture this morning uh, about this concept of planting, and uh, it's literally called the parable of the sower. It's in Matthew chapter 13, and I'm gonna start reading at verse three. And you can read on the screen behind me. For those that are maybe new to church, you'll often see these little, uh, little kind of brackets at the end and. This literally means the version of the verse that we're reading. So for the NKJV, it's the New King James Version for those that want to know. Verse 3, it says this, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Verse 5, Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I, I want you to picture for a second that you're literally s- s- kind of seated right in front of Jesus. you're sitting next to the disciples. you're sitting in this incredible outdoor theater um, on the side of a hill and it's beautiful out and and you see all these birds kind of flow, you know flying all over the place and you hear the little crickets chirping and you get to the end of that passage and you hear this incredible story, this incredible parable of Jesus. And then Jesus says, let him who have ears. Let him hear. Can I put this in modern day language? Jesus looked at him and said, uh, did you get it? And I can just see the 12 of them right now like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay, somebody tell me what it means. Okay, Peter, you go first. We're behind you all the way. You're the, John, you're the closest. You go talk. You already know what he means when he says it before he knows it, because you have the gift of interpretation of Jesus' things. And Thomas is sitting there going, please don't ask me. I'm already doubting myself already. I just can't do it. Please don't ask me. And James is behind saying, son of thunder, roar! And then he's like, just shut up, James. It's enough of your thunder, Okay. We have heard your thunder for the last three and a half years. We're not listening to it anymore. But think about this. Put yourself in the middle of the situation. Jesus asked them a question. What does it mean? And they're like, can I phone a friend? (laughs) You know, is there a lifeline? Can you make it multiple choice? I always go with see it works every time, at least 43% of the time. I hope they'll get it right this time. So he asked them a question, and they looked dumbfounded. They're like, I have no idea. And what's interesting is I think we read this passage, and many of us even today kind of miss some of the significance of its meaning. But the seed is literally the good news of the gospel. The seed is the gospel being implanted, the kingdom thoughts of God being implanted. And his kingdom is his rule and reign. We talked about that back in the fall. And the field that is sown is symbolically speaking of your heart. That's what it's speaking of. Then he goes on because he realized that no one had the courage to put their hand up and give an answer. So then he goes on in verse 18, and he explains it. So we're going to read this. It says this, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns uh, is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I'm sure they got to the end of that and they went, yeah, I would have said that. Absolutely, I would have said that. I know exactly what he was talking about. I already wrote a book on it, Peter. Like, you're just so slow, like crazy. But the reality is, is we are often in these situations where we get to read a story and we get to understand it. But when you put yourself in the middle of their situation, they had no clue. So everything was this daily sense of the planting of the seeds of the kingdom of God in their life and this desperate hope to understand what Jesus was talking about. So I want to just share a couple of, Little lessons that I kind of came out of this story to help us understand the significance of the kingdom of God being planted in your lives. So lesson number one, are you ready? It's not the seed, it's the soil. It's not about the seed, it's actually about the soil. Jesus goes to great lengths here in this parable to, wait, to make one thing abundantly clear. The reason that seeds do not develop roots has nothing to do with the seed itself. It has everything to do with the soil of your heart. Ouch. Okay. Any farmer would literally tell you today that the that without the soil being prepared and cared for and cultivated and tilled and plowed, without that, there's no hope to see a harvest with those seeds. There's no hope. So sometimes we have this idea, and I, I'm going to I'm going to stretch myself a little bit here and step on some Calvinistic uh, toes, but I will. If you come from this, the camp where it's like, well, just God will do anything and I can't do anything about it. And God's just going to do whatever he's going to do. And I just have to wake up in the morning and it's just going to happen. I have news for you. Nowhere in this passage of scripture does it say that God does not want to partner with you. As a matter of fact, this entire passage is actually talking about how you can intentionally partner with Him and His kingdom and allow the seeds of the kingdom to take root in your heart. How many know that in order for seeds to germinate, you have to cultivate the land? That's the land of your heart. That's the soil of your heart. So in other words, your growth in God is directly related to the condition of your heart. See someone whose heart is good? And we see growth. See someone whose heart is struggling and we don't consistently. Okay? Second thought. A hardened heart is a barren wasteland. Matthew 13, verse 19. I just want to read this verse again so we know the context. It says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed By the wayside. So a heart that is indifferent to the gospel, a heart that is maybe uh, opposed or rejecting the truth, will not produce a harvest of the kingdom. You're going to produce a different harvest. Trust me, your harvest will happen. But what we're talking about is the desire to produce the harvest of the kingdom of God. So this heart, without a change, quite potentially will remain a spiritual wasteland. But that's never been God's heart for you. Colossians 1.23 says it like this. But you must stay deeply rooted and firm in your faith. You must not give up the hope you received when you heard the good news. There's hope that comes from the good news. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Be anchored to the hope in Jesus Christ, not to your circumstances changing. When we hope in Christ, the circumstances are completely irrelevant. Because God's already dealing with you. Amen? So listen to this. To be deaf to the gospel is to be indifferent. To be indifferent to the gospel is to be without hope. And to be without hope is to have a hardened heart. Think about this. Why do most people struggle in their heart? It's because they've lost hope. They're feeling hopeless. They're frustrated. They're resentful. They're angry. They don't understand why things are not working out. And if, if we can be honest with you this morning, we've all felt that. Some of us may even be feeling that this morning. Trust me, I understand. I've been there many times. But God wants us today to have the courage to anchor ourselves to the only thing that is unshakable, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Third thought. An offended heart produces shallow roots. So it goes on in verse 20 and 21, and it says this. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And for those that love to study the Bible, you'll you'll notice that there's a lot of different translations. Some are more modern day translations to help you kind of understand a principle or a thought. Some of them are what would be considered by Bible scholars to be more closer to the original. Some of them are very close to the original meaning. And there's some argument over as to which one that is. Some people say the English Standard. Some people say the New American Standard Bible. Um, Some people say the King James Bible written in 1611. There's a whole bunch of different perspectives on that, but there's definitely a core group of three to four Bibles and versions of the Bible that most people land on as being the closest to the original. So I'm going to pick one of them for a second. The King James uh, Version here literally uses the word in place of immediately he stumbles literally uses the word immediately he's offended. And when you look up the actual Greek word that's used in the Bible in this particular location, in this verse, it's actually directly translated as offended. So it's not stumbles, it's offended. And what's interesting is the Greek word, not that we're going to do a test on this at the end of the day, but the Greek word is scandalizo, And it literally means the bait that is on a trap. And the definition of this word scandalizo literally means to entice to sin. So you have to understand that when the enemy tries to put something, uh, some sort of offense in front of you, he's actually like a bait. It's literally a bait to trap you into something that will not produce kingdom fruit. How many know that offense is an awful thing? How many know that the moment you're offended the enemy will make sure that you find 5 to 10 other people who are offended within 72 hours or less. In order to do what? To feed the offense. So what I want to kind of, I guess, I don't know, just enlighten us on this morning, is that this word literally means to bait. It's to bait somebody into taking what's on that, uh, on that trap. So think of it from the standpoint of, you know, the the cheese or the peanut butter on the mousetrap. When we were at our old office, um, my, I don't know if my mom's here. I didn't see her. Oh, she's in the back. Hey, mom. Um, my mom used to come in to our old office because we had a mice problem in our old office uh, when we were on Progress Avenue. For those that have been around a long time, you remember where that was. And uh, she used to come in. She's like, I, I got this brilliant idea. I've heard about this. Is going to work. I'm going to use peanut butter on the traps because mice love peanut butter. I'm like, what happens if they have peanut allergies, Mom? (laughs) Like, that's not very sensitive. We're very insensitive to the mice right now. Mom, no, I'm kidding. And literally, what we tried before didn't work. And my mom comes in with peanut butter, and it's like, in one day, we had the whole family. We had a little ceremony out the back door, and we're like, you know, good night. And they went home to be with Jesus all in that one day. It was just a brilliant thing. Anyhow, but what you have to understand is that bait that's on that trap is the very thing that the enemy tries to do with regards to offense. He's trying to hook you. And if he can hook you, he's got you. And why is it the enemy wants to hook you? Well, first of all, he doesn't want you to live for Jesus. That's just plain and simple. But the second thing is this is he's more concerned about the fruit you produce as a believer than just coming to Christ. He, once he's lost you coming to Christ, he's kind of, okay, I've given up that. All right, I can't get you, and I can't get, bring you back away from that. I'm going to try my best. But he wants to make you as ineffective and as distracted and as offended and as hardened as possible so that you don't do anything for the kingdom of God. Because he knows that when people work together to do kingdom business, the influence is exponential. So he's like, how do we stop that? How do we stop that? Get them offended. Aha. Mm." And what's interesting is he will put a different bait on the trap for your life than he will for the person sitting next to you. He knows what's going to get you. So he'll put it there. And every once in a while you walk by and you see it and you're like, oh. And you ignore it the first couple of times. And then maybe the third or fourth time you're like, oh, I wonder what that is. Look at it and go, yeah. Huh. Walk away. Maybe a couple more times later and eventually that thing comes snapping down on you. And here's what's interesting about offense. You feel the pain of the trap more than anybody else. But it is dangerous. It is dangerous. And what's interesting about offense is that the roots of, your, of the kingdom will not go down deep. And as a result, you will not produce the fruit that God wants you in your, in your life. But before I move on, I want you to see something here that's very interesting. I actually caught this this week, and I was so excited because I'm like, I, I've seen this before, but I've never put a couple of different thoughts together on this one. So here's a question for you. According to this passage, how does offense come? And this is what floored me this week. And as soon as I read this, and as soon as I thought about this, I actually went back in my life 20, 25, 30 years ago, and I started processing through all of the times that I was not doing well, and I realized, wow, this is exactly, this was exactly my life. So the Darby translation actually... Reveals this the best. And it says this in verse 21 But has no root in himself, but is for a time only. And when tribulation or persecution happens on account of the word, he is immediately offended. And we know that means to stumble. Offense comes as a result of the word. I'm going to just take you through my life very quickly for a second. I'm a very excitable person. And I can get discouraged probably as quickly as I can get excited. So I'm, I'm an emotional yo-yo sometimes when it comes to certain things, especially the leaves. But, but I, I've learned how to kind of me- mellow that out and make it, as uh, Stuart would say, we put a compressor on my emotions. So instead of doing this like I did 30 years ago, I'm like this, right? But here's what used to happen. I would have a God moment. I'd be on cloud 53, And I'd be bouncing around like, this is awesome. This is awesome. Lord, you're the best. And then Monday showed up. And something happened at school or something happened at work. And I was like, oh, my goodness, Lord, this is awful. Where were you? He's like, I was there yesterday. You haven't invited me into your day yet today. You just wanted to do it yourself. Okay. Woo. And so here's what happened in that season of my life. Is there was key people, including my mom, that would come into my life at different times And drop a verse of the Bible onto my life. And because I didn't like it. And I said, talk to the hand many times. Guess what happened? I was offended because of the word. So here's what happens in the life of believers. First six months, it's a honeymoon awesome. Maybe a year, maybe a year and a half for you. It's a honeymoon. Everything's exciting. Everything's joy-filled. I've never felt this before. This is so awesome. Woo! And then the word comes and says, you're living wrong. Ah! Well, but God's all about love. Yep, He's lovingly disciplining you right now. Because He sees the potential of your life. And it comes and it goes, oh, I don't know if I can do that. He goes, I would never ask you to do something without giving you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do it. So this is what happens in the life of a believer. The beginning stages are fun. They're exciting. Everything's new. Everything's fresh. Just kind of like a honeymoon. You know what I'm saying? But keep it going, guys. Keep the honeymoon going, Curtis and Lily. Come on, we're cheerleading you on. But what you have to understand is the moment that God starts to bring the word in, in, in with the full concept of trying to adjust you, you go, ooh. so salvation is awesome. Discipling is painful. <laughs> How many are parents? <laughs> How many of you tried to say the same thing in multiple different ways to get something through to your children? Some days it works. Some days it doesn't work. Some days it's better than other days. Other days you want a partial rapture and you want to go home first. You know what I'm saying? You have those days. But this is so key because the seed of the kingdom always wants to go deep. But in order for it to go deep, it's got to hurt. It's got to push through. It's got to push down. And then when it germinates, it has to push back up. So the process of what God's putting in is painful. The process of working it out is painful. But the fruit is off the charts. Off the charts. What I've learned in my own life is when I was offended, I got stuck. It's like I couldn't move forward. I was just stuck. Stuck. And some of you feel that way this morning, that you just feel stuck. For some reason, you just can't seem to move forward. And there's an incredible verse that, that I wanted to share with you this morning. It's in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 3, and it says this. You can't find firm footing in a swamp, the swamp of offense. But life rooted in God stands firm. That's God's heart for you this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you get unstuck this morning from your offense and produce the fruit that God has always desired you to have in the kingdom. Amen? Lesson four. A distracted heart bears no fruit. Matthew 13, It says, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes absolutely unfruitful. I have two things that I've observed in my life as a pastor when it comes to end of life type scenarios. Two things that I've observed. And it's just, it's interesting how this, I've literally never seen these two things happen. So, Whenever I've had the privilege and the honor of talking with someone near the end of their life, I have never once in the last 20 years of my life ever heard someone say, I wish I had all my stuff in this hospital room. I wish I just had more stuff. Never heard it. I've heard a lot of other things. I've heard regret about what they didn't deal with relationally. I've heard regret about life choices. I've heard that. But I've never heard, I wish I had more stuff. I wish my stuff was here. I never had it. Second thing I've never seen is this. I have never seen a hearse followed by an 18-wheeler truck with someone's stuff. Never seen it. Why? Because it's not going anywhere. So why is this important? Kingdom seeds are seeds of eternity. And we have to be sowing eternal seeds in our lives with an eternal mindset, with an eternal process, with an eternal mission. Why? Because the only reason we are still here on this earth is because somebody you work with that lives next to you does not know Christ. So we have to overcome this distracted heart and actually focus on things that actually matter, things that are are eternal. Amen? Luke 21 says this, Verse 34, it says, be careful that you never allow your hearts to grow cold, remain passionate, and free from anxiety and the worries of this life. All right, number five, lesson five, a fertile heart sustains life. I love that. Matthew uh, 13, 23, it says, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 100, some 60, some 30. Okay? A heart that is fertile is one that accepts the word of God into their life. That embraces the Word of God into their life, that actually desires to live out the Word of God in their life, that wants to obey the principles that God shows them in the Word of God. Amen? This is a heart that is open to truth. It's a heart that is open to change. It is a heart that's open to the Holy Spirit transforming their life. But it needs participation, it's not the one man show. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to make you do anything. So what often happens in our lives, if we can be honest this morning, and I'll be honest from my own life, is oftentimes he, he puts you in a corner. Not for a time out. <laughs> but he puts you in a corner and you just feel like, man, I'll keep dealing with the same thing over and over and over again. I just keep coming back to this over and over and over again. Why can't I ever get past this? Why? Because you're not dealing with it. So I want you to have the courage this morning to say, God, help me overcome this hardened heart. Help me overcome this offended heart. Help me overcome this distracted heart because I am sick and tired of where my life has ended up. I'm sick and tired of feeling the way that I feel every day. I'm sick and tired of feeling the same similar thoughts and the same mindset and the same ideas that are going through my head one more time. And I want you to know today, He is literally waiting for you just to open up the door of your heart. And say, Come on in. That's he's just waiting. And all of heaven is literally sitting on the edge of their seat going, Let's see if let's see if we get at least one today. And he's looking around, what's going on? What's happening? Is there someone here who desires a fertile, kingdom minded, eternal heart? So the question I have for you today is very simple. What kind of soil is your heart today? What kind of soil is your heart? King Solomon shares incredible wisdom about the need to understand the condition of your heart because it is so key. And he says this in Proverbs 4.23. He says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard it above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Some of you may be struggling with that hardened heart, that offended heart, that distracted heart but your heart's desire inside is for that fertile heart. And I, I just want to let you know today, God is for you. He wants to work with you. He wants to plant the seeds of the kingdom of God in your life so that the kingdom of earth seeds that are there get pushed out. Amen? Sometimes God does these crop failures supernaturally, and sometimes he just plants new things and pushes everything else out of the way. Either way is good, okay? I want to come back to our key verse, Proverbs, or sorry, Psalm one, verse three, and I'm going to come in for an ending here. And I'm just going to invite, honey, if you can come up this morning. Psalm one, three, it says, "This he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its season, uh, its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper." I had this cool little thought a couple of weeks ago when I was looking at this verse, and the word "planted" in the Hebrew actually means transplanted. And I thought, that's different. Literally means transplanted. How many have ever had a hosta? You know the plant, hosta? And you've got to literally cut it in two and spread it and then replant, replant, replant. It keeps growing. Trust me, I, I've learned that at our current house. They just keep growing. <laughs> They're all over the place. They're crazy. Lord Jesus, you know, deal with the hostas. Anyhow... I actually named one of our hostas Jimmy Hosta because it was just demonic just continuing to spread all over my front garden. I'm like, this is not good. But I want you to catch something here. Jesus the great physician already has made a way for you to have a heart transplant. There's some patients currently at Kingston uh, General Hospital that are literally in there this morning because they're getting a transplant of some kind. It's because the medical community has determined that that organ is no longer able to function and support support life and to support the continuity of, of the function of your life through every organ. And so they've determined that the best thing to do is to get a transplant. Jesus wants to give you a heart transplant today there's a beautiful passage of scripture in ezekiel chapter 36 and it says this i will plant this is god speaking i will plant a new heart and a new spirit inside of you i will take out your stubborn distracted offended hardened heart your stony heart and give you a willing tender heart of flesh And I will put my spirit inside of you, inspire you to live by my statutes and follow my laws. I just got my license renewed in the last month and a half. And um, you guys will remember that when you get your license renewed, often what comes with it is a donor card. So if something were to happen to you, can you please fill out this card and check off whatever organs you would like to donate for those that they can save? That verse is Jesus' organ donor card. It says, when I die, I want everyone to have my heart. So that if they come to grips with the fact that something's wrong with theirs, that my heart is so big, it can be for everyone. And I believe some of you here this morning, and I've been believing this all week, that you have literally come here this morning And 2019 is still living out your life in 2020 and the pains and the hurts and the disappointments and the regrets and all of the stuff that has caused your heart to hold back and to push back is still dictating to you how you're supposed to think how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to live and I believe this morning that God wants to absolutely transform your heart